In the name of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What would you say if I asked you for the Bible's perspective on women? What does the Bible say about them? Yeah, it's not uncommon for um, people to think or accuse the Bible of being misogynistic or paternalistic, at least. It does not hold women in high regard. It gives the power and, um, and wealth and opportunity to men. And, um, and that's just not true. Today, in our um, reading in Mark's Gospel, we meet Simon Peter's mother. And the minute she's healed from her sickness, she's up and serving. And so it's a question that we have to face in Scripture. It's kind of a portrayal it has of women. Um, but what's interesting about this uh, is that uh, the kind of negative sense that we have uh, about the Scripture's approach um, really can't be backed up. In fact, in the last 10 years or so, there's a number of scholars, feminist scholars, you know, these aren't conservative men, uh, feminist scholars, these women, who simply look at the archaeological evidence and look at scripture and realize that women were really at the core of Israelite society. Um, we found the same thing in ancient Greek society. Women were these kinds of um, uh, pillars of ancient society. They had economies. In Israel's world, the home, the household, was its business, its food. Most of what it did, 90% of its day, was producing food, you know, and trading goods with other homes. Women were the chief or the uh, operating officer or the, or the director of operations. They ran this thing. And so they build community kinds of networks and they run an operation that keeps the family running. These large families that need lots of children um, are because these economies need workers. And so women did this. Um, the most kind of, you know, um, advanced picture, I mean, you, you get is in Proverbs 31, the, the valorous woman. And she owns, she's kind of expanded her market, and she has these little um, uh, places with the market. She gives to the poor. Uh, she has servant girls. She's really expanded her work. And it's a really poetic chapter, but it was not unheard of to be able to do that um, with a women's economy. And so, um, no, the Bible doesn't view them identical. And, um, and, the, and these feminist scholars tend to say that the Bible is patrilineal. In other words, um, the, the inheritance and the name passes down through the husband and through the male line. But these women had significant power in the ancient world. So back to Mark's gospel, to this healing that Jesus is going about. Uh, we're in Mark's gospel for the next year, and he is a fantastic storyteller. And his details always are kind of a beckoning, kind of a hinting for us to stop and take notice. He's so careful in what he does and the way that he writes. And it helps to remember as he's writing that he's not a news reporter, he's a theologian. And he's telling us a story and leaving clues for us to pick up on. And so I'm just going to highlight four of them in this little scene that we get in our gospel reading today. Uh, Jesus has left the synagogue on the Sabbath. That's a clue. Uh, it is the Sabbath day of the Jewish world. And he enters into a home. So this is really the first clue. Is he enters into a home that might seem um, trivial to us. But the home is the place of worship. It's where the church had its start. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians uh, began this movement that we have inherited by meeting in homes. You hear it in Paul's letters, you know, I went from house to house in Ephesus. 
That's how the churches began. And Mark, the theologian, is writing a letter that would have been read in the houses. And so it's sort of Mark's way of saying, Jesus walked into a place just like this. And he began the work that we have all become the fruit of. And what did he do when he walked into homes? There's a very consistent pattern that we see with Simon Peter's mother. He looked and he found the vulnerable. It says that um, Simon Peter's mother was um, sick with a fever and so she was prone, you know, she was laying down. And Jesus' eyes go to her. Follow Mark's gospel, follow all of the gospels. Where does Jesus go? He knows how to find the oppressed. He knows how to find the vulnerable. And he's training his church to have these kinds of eyes. Who of us doesn't walk into a room and look for the friends, look for the popular, look for opportunities? And Jesus looks for need when he enters the church home. And he walks over to so this, the homes, this like kind of first clue. This is the beginning of the church. And what we see happening with Jesus should be a characteristic, should be thematic for the way we live as a church. And so he finds Simon Peter's mother, who's ill with fever. And he goes to her, and the description here is really powerful. Jesus reaches down with his hand and raises her up. Um, you should hear, or you can picture, a resurrection scene. That she's raised up. She's saved. The term's not far from that healing in the way that she's healed. And she's made well. And so there is... As this Sabbath day comes to the end, the Creator is on the scene and He's bringing this woman back to life. He finds need and He makes wholeness again. Jesus, having come into the world, Mark tells us, has the power to take that brokenness that we see in the world and make it new. Third, we come to that kind of climactic part of the scene that I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law begins to serve and wait upon them. Yeah, there it is, you know. You can imagine. Look at these men. It's not five minutes ago. She's sick with a fever, perhaps to die. And now she's serving you while you sit around and watch the Super Bowl or whatever it is you do. And that is uh, very easy to come away from the scene thinking that. What in the world are these people doing that she is serving? But there's probably two things that are happening there. On the one hand, she's fully well. Right? The, the, the idea that Mark wants us to get is she doesn't serve because she's still getting over the fever. You know, she's weak and she needs fluids. It's quite the opposite. The image is she's just bustling with energy because Jesus has made her well. I mean, that's, that's why scholars think that resurrection kind of theme is just all packed in there by Mark. Because she's touched hands with the Savior and he's made her well and so she has strength to serve. But the more significant thing here is that she serves. The, the word there is um, diakonos, diakonoi. It's the word we get for deacon, and it means servant. And yes, she's serving, and yes, she's a woman. But if you look in Mark's gospel, there are only three people, three figures, that are said to be servants. And no, it's not the men. It is, first of all, the angels in Mark 1, the previous, the beginning of the chapter that we're in. Jesus goes for 40 days into the desert to be tempted. And the angels ministered to him. They, they were deacons. They served him. Uh, Simon Peter's mother is a deacon. She's an angel. 
She's taken on this very character. I mean, that word has just appeared in Mark's story. And here's another one. And it's the people who know who Jesus is who begin to serve him. And Simon Peter's mother gets it. She knows this is the Lord like the angels, and she begins to serve. The third uh, group of people, the third character that's described as a servant in Mark's gospel, guess, it's Jesus. There's a theme. Mark's gospel has this real um, centerpiece. You know, he goes up on the mountain, and we'll come to that this year and weeks ahead. And in that, the disciples are trying to figure out who he is. And Jesus says at the beginning and end of that scene, you must take up your cross and follow me, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Angels, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and now Jesus. See, that's this real kind of clue that Mark is seeking to honor this woman, because she's the only person in the book, other than Jesus and angels, who serves. Because she gets the plot before the men do. She gets it way before Peter does. She sees her Lord is there. And Mark tells this story to this little house church to know, hey, when we had our beginnings, when people figured out that Jesus was the raised one, the Savior, the one who brought resurrection to the world, they began to serve. And that's why our numbers grew. That's why you served and became a part of this community. That's part of Mark's message to his church, to us. When we recognize the Lord, we get about being servants like he was. Uh, the last clue I want to visit in this home scene is that Mark tells us, and then evening came. Um, that's not minor. That's really significant. And now the Sabbath has ended, and it's the first day of the week. You know, in Jewish culture, uh, the day begins at sundown. And so it's sundown, and it's now the first day of the week. And the sick and the demon-possessed begin to pour into the house, and Jesus is healing them, left and right, right? It was a man with a demon, then Simon Peter's mother, and here they come. The needy, the sick, the demon-possessed begin to pour in. One of the clues I'm going to ask us to look for in weeks ahead as we read Mark's gospel is um, what scholars talk about is the speed of the book as it opens up. There's this word that Mark uses, euthus. Um, it means, um, it means uh, immediately or um, and just now. And, it, and it's a way of Mark. He doesn't even use it grammatically correctly, um, probably because he's trying to draw emphasis to it. He uses it 50-something times or 40-something times. Immediately Jesus went, immediately Jesus healed, immediately Jesus got up. And we're just in this kind of dizzying, um, spilling out of them by Mark in this early chapter. And, and one scholar um, older in the 60s or 70s just had it right. He said, this is a blow-by-blow blow account of the creator on the scene. It's Genesis 1. It's evening and morning, Mark says. And what's Jesus doing? He's moving through his creation, making life. The demon-possessed, the sick, the oppressed. Boom, boom, boom. He's just moving along through the world like the creator, as the creator, and making this world new. Um, in Jewish culture, when the first day of the week began, uh, their, um, their Sunday, it was new creation. That's every, the first of the, of the annual year, the Rosh Hashanah, and the first day of each week, you remember the creation. For in six days, the Lord created the heavens and the earth, and the seventh he rested. And so this is the beginning of creation again. Mark's got that clue for us. Who has come to be our Savior? 
the creator himself. But this final scene perhaps is that the demons recognize him and he does not allow them to speak. Now this uh, secrecy in Mark, we'll have to come back to this way that he, um, Jesus is, hides his identity for a while. The, the key though here that we ought to notice is that uh, the demons know from the beginning who he is and so do the angels and so does Simon Peter's mother, but the disciples don't. They don't get it. There he is, the creator. You know, Mark's boom, boom. Here is this creator moving through, making life, and they can't figure out who he is. But the demons know. See, that's Mark's way of saying, those people who are in the kind of cosmic realm of the world, they got this one figured out. They know the cosmos. They know the universe is being shifted permanently in this moment. And the disciples are following a guy and don't quite know what to make of him. It's this obscurity, it's the power the world has over us. It's hard to see sometimes, very hard as people of faith, to be there and to know that Christ is King Almighty. This is our connection I'll make briefly to our two readings, one from Isaiah chapter 40 and um, from Psalm 147. Both have these powerful creation images, you know, the sun, the snow, um, these themes, I'm looking out at the sun on inches and inches, feet of snow, the power of the creator. These things should remind us of his might and his love, but they don't. It's hard. This is the way Isaiah, you know, says it twice. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the creator is on the scene, but he is hard to see. That's why the wake-up call is necessary in Isaiah, because he is hard to see. Uh, and, um, I'm in a book club with a couple of Anglican friends, more well-educated or more astute anyway than I am. And we, um, we're reading books, you know, across the country of, of, of a few friends. And the last pick by a friend in December was Fyodor um, Dostoevsky's novel, Demons. Now, if you know Russian literature, you know this novel. This is about a 700-page novel. And no, I'm not done. And, um, and um, I had uh, tampered with the Brothers Karamazov years ago, and I thought, oh, an old 150-year-old Russian novel. That's our pick. So I started reading, and it wasn't long into it that I thought he knew what he was picking. 150 years ago, and yet the book could have been written today in so many ways. Listen, I want to just read briefly from Rowan Williams, um, former Archbishop of Canterbury, who happened to write a book on Dostoevsky. But listen to how he begins his description of this Russian author. Terrorism, child abuse, absent fathers and the fragmentation of the family, the secularization and sexualization of culture, the future of liberal democracy in question, the clash of cultures, the crisis of national identity, the hanging question, what does one human being owe to another. Uh, Williams is right. He said, couldn't we just pick up Dostoevsky and read it today? 150 years ago in Russia didn't look all that different. And so Dostoevsky, like Tolstoy, also a Christian, seek to write fiction that do what Isaiah and what Mark are trying to do. Do you not see? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the creator, he gives strength to the weary. He does not grow faint. It's the wake-up call. It's the reminder as we get fatigued and look out 
at humanity and wonder, where is the Savior and Creator of this world? Why does He delay? See, we're entering into Lent next week in a week and a half, and we're reminded we have been called to wait in God's own wisdom for a long time. And we come today away from this service, and we're left with this beautiful image and a reminder. Simon Peter's mother. She knew the Creator was on the scene. She had hope in him, and she waited, and she served while he delayed. May we be like her to hope, to wait, and to be servants in his name. Amen.